Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday was the final city council meeting for this year, for 2023. The city council, there's a, I think there's a few committee meetings, but council does not meet again until, wow, late in January. They have a, a long absence now, over a month. And during the meeting yesterday, at one point, the issue was brought up. I can't even remember which councillor now was talking about it. Complimenting this new council, because this was the end of the first year, really, the first full year for this new council, 10 new members, complimenting this council on its work and on the work it's done over the last year. Should such compliments be given? Is this council, has this council earned those kinds of compliments? Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Let me bring in Vito Scro. He is a guy who has run for office both locally and uh, provincially. He is a political insider around here, a man who's, uh, who's tied into the local political community. He joins us now. Vito, how are you today? Hi, Scott. How are you? I am good. I, so what, what do you think about this? I, this? When this comment was made, my ears immediately perked up because it's a, a month and a half or so ago that they had their one-year anniversary. But that was us from the outside who was sort of saying, how have they done? This is council saying, hey, you know what? We've done pretty well in this first year. We had 10 new members. We had a lot of new people to bring in and to get up to speed. And I don't deny for a second that there is a lot of work in figuring out how this whole thing works. So has does this council deserve plaudits for what it's done in its first year? No. Very succinctly, no. Um, there are a lot of new people and we have to give them some leeway without a doubt because it is a very, very difficult job. But I think their greatest accomplishment this year has been acting like an employment agency, hiring 400 people full time, adding tens of millions of dollars to our tax rolls for you know going forward for the next few years. Um, there are, it, it seems to me that they're getting away from what a municipality, in my opinion, is supposed to do. It's supposed to provide for services, roads, parks, police, economic development, health. It's not an ideological body planning the, what they think the city should be doing and the direction it should be taking based on some ideology. I mean, I, I think they've had to learn that you've got to sit down and listen to a, a lot of what's going on with the difference of opinions uh, around the city, and you've got to show up to work. I mean, I, I think one of their pet projects, uh, they lost it because two or three people just didn't show up for the vote. I don't understand why they think or they got angry at that. I mean, you, you're talking about the vacant the home. Work. You're talking about the vacant homes tax. Uh, yes, a completely useless program that has not worked anywhere across the country. And thank God, the older uh, Councillor Jackson brought that up for a separate vote, which I don't think he did on purpose to have it defeated. He just wanted, I think, the the rest of the city to know that he would want to vote against it. But yes, that's what I'm talking about. The is this not though um, whether okay? So you you have not been unclear about your position on this, but is there any surprise though? of what this council is. This is, you know, the people vote, the people, you know, the people can't be wrong because they vote. Is this not exactly the council that that we expected when they were elected? I, I, I'm not sure that I'm seeing a lot here that I would have predicted not to be the case. I agree with you there. Um, I can't speak for everyone who voted, obviously, but I can tell you my experience uh, going to those meetings in Ward 2 about the tiny homes. 
That's not what they wanted. And there was a supreme uh, pushback. And a lot of those people I spoke to, they voted for change. They voted for that counselor. They didn't vote to have what happened to or what was going to happen to their neighborhood happen. So do the, did they think they knew it was going to happen? Probably not. Uh, to a lot of us who watch this a lot, like myself and yourself, we probably are not surprised by a lot of this. I, I just wish we'd go back to what cities are supposed to do. It's, it's not a left or a right issue. It's a right and wrong issue. We, we still have the worst roads. We still have water problems. Uh, we still have uh, problems with parks. We have homelessness. We have so many problems that I don't think they're dealing with. We, we were talking about um, the homeless in the tents and everything, um, the encampments for months. Has anyone checked to see if, if the city's hundreds of empty units have been started on to, to be usable for people who need these things? I don't think so. I, I just I, they're not focusing on what they're been elected to do, in my opinion. Vito, we're talking about the one year, the end of the last council meeting for the year. And, the, I, you know, I, you can call it self-congratulations among councillors. I mean, I think it was just a comment that said, hey, we had a good year, whether we agree or not, whether people agree or not, that's 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 fine. I mean, and, and those councillors are entitled to their thought on how they did. Is, you've made clear that you would not necessarily agree. Is there anybody? There were 10 new councillors that came on, including the mayor, 10 new members around that council table, six returnees. Of those 16, are there any that have impressed you? He surprised me, and I'm very impressed so, with sorry, Jeff we, Beattie. Oh, Jeff Beattie, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. And uh, I've I, 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 I never met him, never spoken to him. I, I had a different impression and, you know, shame on me for that on the way, the way he was going to be. But he's been he's been uh, very thoughtful in his process. He's he's not afraid to say, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe I need some more information. I'm impressed by that. Uh, Matt Francis is another one I'm very impressed with. Um, I, now, I think fiscally we're along the same lines, to be fair. But those two of the new are, are I think, the way we should go in terms of counselors. What about the idea? I mean, it. And we don't control this. This It's an election. Uh, the people choose, as we said a moment ago. But it was very unusual to have 10 new councillors come in. I mean, as I say, there's 16. 10 of them were new. If you had your choice, we don't live in this kind of system where you get to or I get to pick. But if you had your choice, would you like the idea someday down the road to have 10 new councillors again? Would you like to have all of them new sometime? Or is that too many all at once to try and to bring in? One, um, there's some cities in the United States that I think do a very interesting uh, process. They stagger their elections. So they they have one every year. Most of the terms are three years and they don't have as many politicians. Uh, a city this size would only have about five or six councillors, but every year they have elections for two. So you never get uh, a completely uh, new group of people all by themselves in one term. And I, I, that's that's an interesting idea we should probably take a look at because you could have uh, new councillors, but they're not going to be you know uh, uh, six new councillors all at once or ten new councillors all at once. It, there's a learning curve, and you know sometimes I, I listen back to when you've you've graciously me, uh, allowed me to be on your show, and I think you know I'm sounding a little too negative, and 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 I don't want to be that way. I'm just I'm getting fed up with what's going on in the city, not just in the last year, I mean, in the last five to 10 years, at least, 
we all hear that Hamilton has this magnificent potential, and it's true, but we're never reaching it. We just we just get in the way of ourselves. And, and again, we should stick to what we should be doing as a city, promoting ourselves, building uh, roads, parks, uh, public health, economic development, all the other issues. That's not what a city's supposed to do. You can go to your MP to deal with uh, ideological issues uh, that that are unfortunately troubling the world right now. We keep missing our our reaching our top potential, and that's what gets me into this mood. I just want us to reach what we can do because this city, I, I've, I've traveled a lot. We could be one of the best cities in North America, and and I'm I'm not being uh, overly optimistic there. I really do believe it. We've got everything going for us except we have people who are not steering the ship in the same way and not doing it for the better of Hamilton, in my opinion, it's for the better of the way they think society should be. And that's not what they're there for. I, I will say this, that I, the one thing that has really surprised me about this council, and I mean, we could be, you and I and everyone listening could be in a big room talking about this for hours. But the one thing that has shocked me is the last election that these 10 new people came in on was talked about as a change election. There was a lot of expectation that things would be very, very different around the council table. And the one thing I've heard from a lot of people is, I don't feel like a whole lot has changed. Now, the councillors would probably argue and push back on that and say, no, we've changed an awful lot of things. But big picture, big, broad strokes, I think a lot of people look and say, what has changed? I, well, I agree with you 100%. We're missing the boat. Um, we're missing easily, easily hit home runs. Uh, and I don't know why. I mean, the people are new, but the problems stay the same. I mean, again, we have housing problems. We have infrastructure problems. We have economic development problems. I mean, and it's getting worse. I, I live downtown, as I told you. I volunteered for the Great Cup, and my job was to help uh, anybody from out of town. I walked up and down James Street, and people loved what they saw. Um, and I was a little worried about the Eaton Center or the City Center, whatever they call it now, which is now going to take another 10 years minimum to have anything happen. It's graffiti-filled and vandalized. Well, I don't know who cleaned it before the Grey Cup came, but it was all cleaned up nicely, and then now it's back to what it was before. Mm. We, we need proper policing. It's just the essentials to make this city run properly. That's, but, that's what we need. That's what we need councillors to do. To be fair, though, if we're pointing at the fact that there have not been big, overwhelming, noticeable changes, does that actually put the finger of blame at this council or these councillors, or does that suggest it's really, really, really hard for a council to change anything because the way things are set up doesn't allow for that? No, I don't. I don't agree with that. How do, why does Mississauga work? You know, why do all the, why does Waterloo, Katrina Waterloo work? I mean, they've got their problems, don't get me wrong, but why are they working? Uh, you know, there are examples after examples after examples. The priority should be for the benefit of the city, not some uh, ideology or anything else. I, and, and I think we could get there. We could be one of the top cities in this country without a doubt, without a doubt. We've got so many things potentially going for us and, and we just got to get out of our own ways. We've got to stop thinking about these one magical things that happen. And our favorite topic, which I, I loathe to bring up because everyone associates it with me anyway. They keep worrying about the cost of uploading and downloading and roads, but yet, and they're, they're worried about housing, but yet they're all behind, some of them, sorry, are behind spending city money on this pipe dream called LRT that 
as we discussed earlier, it's not even there's not even an RFQ for it. It's never going to happen, Scott. I'm just going to say it straight out. You're going to hear for another ask, and we are keep hoping on that. Meanwhile, Main Street, King Street, they're falling apart. It's simple stuff mm. we can fix to make the city better. Let's. Like, um, let's no, no, and, and no, no, and, and look, I, I, you're right that people do associate that probably with you, fairly or unfairly. That was that was a major plank of your mayoral campaign. So we we it's know fair, that it's and, a fair assessment. Uh, we got to run. So I, but one thing very quickly, one thing that I, I do think that we can, and, and I think that you know, if we were to sit down and go through it, I think we can find more than one. But one thing for sure, I think we can point to that this council has done better is that there has not been as much of the screaming and yelling and anger and stuff going on in council meetings. I, I applaud them for that. However, the question that I follow that with is, does anybody really care about that? It's a success, but I do wonder how many people that really matters to, because I don't know how many people are really tuning in and watching council. They're going to pay attention when it really directly affects them. Something's happening in my neighborhood. I just got my property tax bill. And again, if I hope you're kind enough to ask me out when that ask me on your show when that happens, because then you're going to see anger. Yeah, it's um, again, I, I do give credit that they have been very well behaved by and large for the most part around the council table. It's just it seems like it's a. Sec, a, a smaller victory because it, it, I don't, again, I'm with you. I don't know how many people really, really, really care about that kind of thing. It's nice that they're behaving, but there's other things I think that, uh, that a lot of people are a little more concerned about. And we will talk about that again down the road. Uh, Vito Scroll, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this as always. Thanks a lot, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's a long list of great Christmas movies that we watch every year. It's just part of the whole procedure that we settle in and grab some eggnog or whatever else. And well, let me give you a list here. This is from entertainment weekly. And this was their top 20 Christmas movies of all time. You just, you tell me if you agree with this one, number 20, the Santa Claus, number 19 gremlins, which I don't even remember as a Christmas movie, but okay. Uh, number 18, way too low, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That should have been number one. Um, number 17, Scrooged. Number 16, Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. Number 15, Miracle on 34th Street. 14 is White Christmas. 13, The Nightmare Before Christmas. 12 is Trading Places. Again, very loosely a Christmas movie, but okay. Number 11, Home Alone. 10, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 9, The Year Without Santa Claus. 8, The Muppet Christmas Carol. 7, Bad Santa. 6, Love Actually. 5, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 4, Elf. 3, A Charlie Brown Christmas. 2, A Christmas Story. And 1, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, on those of those 20... The one thing to me that stands out is the newest one, the most recent one is about 20 years old. There were Christmas movies coming out all the time, regularly, year after year. And at least every two or three years, there was one that stuck. There was one that worked. There was one that got mixed into the the canon and became one of the regular Christmas movies. We haven't had one now in Probably two decades. Why not? Well, let's turn to our resident, not just movie expert. I mean, he's really a Christmas expert. 
He's an expert on all things to do with pop culture, but we're also going to give him the whole holiday expertise label here. His name is Bill Briu. He's a great writer. He has Briu.tv is his website. Bill, how are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? I am well, but I am puzzled by this because if you look through the lists of all these, and you and there's a million different lists, by the way. I picked one by Entertainment Weekly, but most lists have most of the same movies on there. They're, they regularly came out, Hollywood regularly came out with Christmas movies until 20 years ago, and then, well, they still are, but they stink. <laughs> You're right. I think, you know... When was the last time you went to uh, a theater to see a comedy? You know, I mean, it, the only films that you see at all at theaters now are superheroes or capes or cowls or Marvel this or that. So there's sort of that eliminates a lot of things right there. Um, and um, the other thing I think just there was something about after World War II and in the in 1946, 47, and that's when you got It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 49th, 34th Street and a lot of these classic, classic films, we get The Preacher's Wife, the original with Cary Grant. Um, and I don't know, it was just people lived through this hell. And then there was this uplifting, or this pause and this happy, content family moment. And I think that mid-century thing is really, even if you are born decades later, we just seem to keep coming back to that well of good goodwill towards men uh, that was represented at that time. Yeah, there do seem to be some bursts, let's put it that way. Uh, And you say, like, right after the war, for sure, in the 60s with, you know, Rudolph and Charlie Brown and and Frosty and all those, that was certainly one. Uh, And then late 80s into the 90s and just touching into the 2000s when you have Christmas Vacation and if you want to call Die Hard one of them and and, uh, Home Alone and uh, Elf and those. So there are these like bursts, but boy, there's not been a dry spell that I can find when you look through these lists. There's never been a dry spell like this. And I, I, I hear your point about not going to the theater, but I just saw a trailer today for the new Beverly Hills Cop movie that's coming out with Eddie Murphy that Netflix is pre- is producing. Why would yeah. Netflix or one of the other ones not be able to come up with something that would stick? Well, Eddie Murphy has a brand new Christmas movie on Prime Video this just month. Called is it any Candy good? Came. Uh, I haven't watched it because honestly, um, I think that's just there's a resistance to new Christmas movies. You kind of, I don't know what it is. Even when you look at uh, A Christmas Story, which was made, I don't know, in the, in the 80s, I think, um, that's set in 1946 or seven. You know, even the ones that are made later seem to have a foot in that era. Um, and, and I think what has happened lately in the last 20 years is the only new Christmas movies that are made are made by Hallmark, and they make 500 of them, and they yes. all have the same plot. So it, you just get sort of worn down by that and if you're trying to find a story you have to go back 70 years to the great classic christmas films that were made after the war it is it sounds ridiculous because you're right i mean without being too cheeky every hallmark movie does basically have the same plot but are is is part of the point here that anybody who's interested in making a christmas movie has just been sucked up by the hallmark factory and therefore there's just not a desire demand or there's not people out there to, to do this. 
Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. Like Martin Scorsese's never made a great Christmas film, something <laughs> like you know, or even Tarantino. Wouldn't you want you know, like a, a bloody Christmas? <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess there's an opportunity. I mean, I liked Bad Santa. I thought that's a funny film. Uh, it's twisted. It's sick, but it's it's that's what as advertised. That's what it delivered. Um, but uh, yeah, and for me, in terms of television. There's a lot of really great Christmas episodes of classic shows from the 60s, uh, as well as, as you mentioned, Charlie Brown, The Grinch, and Rudolph. That was 1964, 65, 66, three years in a row, three years when I was a little kid. And I think that's part of that boomer thing. It's just rooted in the nostalgia, the thing that you loved when you were eight, you know, that you want to show your children and your grandchildren and that just keeps happening every generation with the old stuff that we embrace then. I don't want to get too uh, philosophically deep here, but is there any part of this that is political correctness or changing demographic? I don't know if demographics right word that that you know we're, we're not the same country we once were as far as a mostly people who celebrated Christmas. And you now are going to try and reach a broader audience, and that's not just people who celebrate Christmas. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Well, you're right. That, I mean, that's. I mean, literally, the film was called uh, White Christmas. You know, like the, really, they were all White Christmas. You know, um, and and yeah, that, that that times have changed, and 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 so those films don't mean or represent as. Uh, for generations today, absolutely, as they did back then. Um, that that could be part of it, but um, you would think that there would be, and I know there's been attempts to have more multicultural uh, representation in, in new films, in new Christmas films, um, but yeah, it's just, it, you know, some of the representations in the films in the 40s are not correct, absolutely. So, it's a good point you raise, and I'm not sure that's part of the mix. Part of it to me is just it was a time without cell phones. It was a time without computers. Storytelling was different back then and better in some ways because people had to actually talk to each other. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, face, you know, it, it's so interesting to me with all of these, and you're bang on, but I, the, the one, like our family's number one Christmas movie tradition, everyone's going to have their own, is Christmas Vacation. Every year we get together to watch Christmas Vacation. Mm -hmm. And I remember the story that John Hughes, who wrote it, I don't know if everyone knows that John Hughes from like all those teen movies wrote this and apparently wrote it in like a weekend. He just banged it out one, you know, over the span of a couple days. And yeah, you know, you do wonder if there were more distractions on everything if that happens. I I mean, even for the the screenwriters, I mean, for, for someone like him, by that point, I would say he had the credibility and the box office success and everything else that he could get away with putting together a movie like this and they would do it. I, who, who's the who's the person now, who's the, the director now or the film writer now who could simply show up at the studio and go, you're making my Christmas movie and they're going to do it. I don't know. Yeah, well, and, and he, you know, even Uncle Buck is a, a, a U.S. Thanksgiving uh, ritual now, you know, planes, like, trains, uh, and automobiles, planes, trains. Absolutely. I, in fact, even more so because he's trying to get home for Thanksgiving. Um, so those, you know, he was a savvy filmmaker, director, because he created films that 
were evergreens that played for 30 years every year around uh, those occasions. And, yeah, we're just not seeing that kind of thing because, yeah, the thing is the occasions are, are broken down, too. You know, it's just a different time. And as you say, it's a broader spectrum of things that are celebrated. You know, I live in, in Brampton, and um, there's, there's all kinds of celebrations here that are, are around holiday seasons, but they're much more diverse than the ones that, when I was young, uh, there was just, you know, really a couple. So, yeah, and I don't know how somebody makes a film that represents all of them, <laughs> but but um, I'm sure they're trying, somebody at CBC probably is trying to figure that one out. Yeah, and, and yet, you know, uh, and we're going to move on here, but even with that, and I agree, I mean, we are definitely a more diverse place, and, and yet I don't, I mean, look, I, I've not polled everybody in this country of all different religious and social and right. backgrounds, but... Home Alone seems to me to be something that people of all backgrounds watch. Christmas Vacation, I mean, even though it's a Christmas basis for it, I don't know that it's, you know, something that other people would not watch because they are Hindu or they're Muslim or they're Jew. I mean, I I, I don't know that that would throw people off. I, I, anyway, I don't know. It it seems those movies will stand up no matter who's watching. Scott, if John Candy or Catherine O'Hara are in it, I'm watching it, <laughs> no matter what celebration, what festival, whatever it is. Uh, you know, and I think that's part of it. It's like same with the great actors from back Barbara Stanwyck. If she's in a Christmas movie, you got to watch her with Fred McMurray in Remember the Night, even if you've never seen that film, 1940. It's heartbreaking and just an incredible story. And I think that's the missing element in a lot of the new Christmas films. Let us uh, change tack just a little bit here because uh, totally off Christmas just for a minute. I know I told everybody this was a heavily Christmas hour. It will be. But I read a column, uh, when was it, the, today, today, yesterday, I don't know when it was, That and it was an interesting suggestion. It was news anchors on TV are going to be the first AI-generated people that we are going to see all the time. The suggestion is, you know what, we networks pay an awful lot of money to have a pretty person reading the news to us. And ultimately it doesn't really matter who's reading the news to us. Nobody is Walter Cronkite anymore. And the suggestion is, you know what, we are going to see AI producing the people who are reading us the news shortly. Do you think that could actually be the case? Yeah, I I do. Um, But I, I just think that less, you know, fewer of us, less, less people get their news from watching a newscast on TV. You know, like literally when you wake up, you look at your phone, there's 15 headlines, even in Canada where they're sort of not supposed to be, you know, that because of the the bill that was, you know, the parliament had this dispute with uh, Meta and everything else, but um, you still get your news so many other ways now. And, um, and sure, I think that you're going to see, um, I know the newscast ratings are down across the board in Canada and the United States uh, for network news. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, but I'm not, I'm just not sure how that would work. It's, to me, it sounds like a Simpsons episode. Yeah, but do, I mean, do you think, do you think it would affect credibility or do you think people would care? Or do you think people might even tune in more now to see who the person is that pops up today? They might be more credible, yeah, a robot than you know an anchor at Fox News or CNN. Like everything is so polarized and point of view now that you're you never 
you're always suspicious. You're not really getting the news that it's um, it, it's it's uh, ha- it's has some sort of bias. And uh, depending wh- where you're watching, you kind of adjust your expectations. Um, and maybe yeah, but I mean, I, I just think the AI would have a bias. There'd be a bias app that uh, Fox would uh, load into their anchor. You know, like I don't think it's going to help. Well, no, but I think you're onto something though, because look, we we now because of social media, it takes one tweet or Instagram post from someone who is an anchor who makes a comment that betrays some kind of a political position or philosophical position, and they are then colored with that forever. That is now who they are, and one and from that moment on, like I, I, I would actually suggest that news anchors who are trying to be objective should put social media away completely and just don't even give the chance for people to decide what they, who they really are. Just read the news. But this would take that out of the mix. You could, they could be an entirely objective AI, whatever you want to call it, and it wouldn't have that built in necessarily. Yeah, like these guys, like Walter Cronkite or. You know, Dan Rather, they didn't have to deal with any of this. There was no nobody tweeting at them back then. Uh, Cronkite could, you know, he was a reporter during World War II, like, you know, Edward R. Murrow. These guys could go out and drink and then go do the news. You know, it was just different. Um, and I, I do think that um, it's, it's very difficult now Um Oh, Walter want, Cronkite could not be Walter Cronkite today. There is no way, that, because he would have showed up at some kind of meeting or event that was left-wing or right-wing. He would have said something on Twitter that someone interpreted one way. He, Walter Cronkite would not have been Walter Cronkite in 2023. No, I don't think so. And um, I once I was at a press uh, event in, the, in L.A. with other TV critics, and Dan Rather was there. And this is maybe 15 years ago. Whenever, yeah, about that, I guess. Anyway, it was, or no, it was more recent because Trump was already making noise that he was going to run for president. And I saw rather, and I said, I bet you're glad you're not doing the news every night now. You, you probably couldn't keep a straight face. And he looked at my name tag, and it was Toronto Sun at the time. And he said, well, you've got a mayor in Toronto, don't you? That's kind of interesting. And this is when Rob Ford was literally being busted for being, you know, um, I, don't know I can't remember, high <laughs> something. He was running around with with drug dealer, whatever it was. But, you know, I just remember having, uh, being called out on it by Dan Rather. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, he was pretty, still pretty, you know, snappy uh, in retirement. So, um, but I don't know how they would deal with, you're right. It's a blessing for them that they didn't have to deal with all the tweets Ab- that they would get. Absolutely. Uh, we got to run. But uh, Bill Bree, uh, we were talking about Christmas stuff before, and, you know, they may not be making it the same now, but back in the 60s, not only movies, but TV, and you are going to be at the Westdale Theater again. You've made a, a new career of this, which is fantastic, but you're going to be at the Westdale Theater with something about this. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks, Scott. It's um, doing a, a screening on Wednesday uh, December 20th at 1 p.m. It's a matinee. And I've done about five or six of these at Westdale now where I bring a 16-millimeter projector. And some people might remember this in high school. They would bring the projector out and show films. I've been collecting films all my life, and I've got Christmas episodes of the Dick Van Dyke Show and uh, Bewitched Show, talking about classic Christmas shows. And we're going to be projecting them on the big screen at Westdale, we're going to have like a TV retro party. We're going to have trivia questions. We got good prizes. There's a 
Paramount Plus, a year-long subscription to them, and a leg lamp from Retrofest. Nice, nice. All kinds of goodies. So, yeah, come on out. It'll be fun, and we'll see some uh, classic TV Christmas episodes on December 20th at the Westdale. That is Bill Bree. You can see him there. Uh, you can go to the Westdale, thewestdale.ca, and you can find it. Uh, Bill, always appreciate having you on. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.